The following podcast may contain adult language. Chris and Sam, give a damn! All right, it's time for another great episode of Chris and Sam, give a damn. Coming up this month. We're going to have a new segment this month. It's called Gay Stuff, and that is right. You heard me correctly. And it may be exactly what you're thinking, or maybe not at all, you sickos. And also we'll have six more amazing films on the segment. It came from our collection. Stand by, kids. Chris and Sam Give a Damn is about to start. It's time for a new segment that we're going to reveal. It's called Gay Stuff. <laughs> Gay stuff. Gay stuff. That's right. Gay stuff. <laughs> That's right. It's, Gay stuff. It's a segment we're very excited about, even though it's kind of ambiguous what this will be, other than um, we know that it will be. You know, about what being gay means to us. Obviously, we live it every day, you know, just by default. Totally. (laughs) And it's a very good catch-all because it gives us a chance to talk about what we're experiencing and things that we would kind of classify in the gay life subculture. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, yeah, how we connect to that culture, even though it's maybe not to the greatest degree all the time. Right. Well, so it may be films or politics uh, or live, you know, plays or performances or a- any number of things. Um, but I think it'll be a way for us to kind of show you because we are your average uh, happy homo couple from the Midwest. Um, it's true. Yes, and we like to tell you how we connect to the gay zeitgeist. I have to say the word zeitgeist because I wrote it down. Well, and I also think it's very interesting for for the um, you know the gay men and women that are going to come after us. And, you know, what kind of world they're going to be in. Like, they're going to have a lot more privileges and a lot more awareness in the culture. And um, hopefully that will mean that in some way they will continue to give back in the form of arts uh, or even politics to make it, you know, cement some of those rights that can be easily taken away. Absolutely. So let's celebrate it. All right. Well, let's uh, before our, the main focus, I think, is going to be uh, some of the big movies that have been out uh, in gay cinema. But before we go there, um, Chris actually stumbled upon something in the world of television. And I'll let him introduce that. Yes. Um, this was a recommendation from the Slash film cast. So um, it's another uh, movie podcast that I listen to. It's the series Vicious. <laughs> Um, it just they just started talking about it. They described it as the Golden Girls um, if they were old gay men instead. And um, really, it's a gay couple um, that that's the subject of the show. It's a British sitcom. Uh, it's Freddie and Stuart, um, this really elderly couple. I, they're probably what would you guess seventies, eighties. Yeah, they never really say, but it is yeah, Stuart um, may be slightly younger than Freddie. Yes. And have you said uh, uh, who Freddie is yet? Freddie is Ian McKellen. Um, and you've got um, Stuart is Derek Jacoby, maybe Jacoby. I'm not sure. I'm sorry, because he is like a very famous Shakespearean actor. So people are going to know who he is. But I, I don't. Um, but he's awesome. No, they're, they're both good. Was it? Now, did the you show hear is this, hilarious? Did you hear it described to you as the as a gay golden girls? Yes. Very yes. nice. 
And um, it, it, you can see that after everybody gets in the same room because it's really the couple, the one couple, and then they've got a really yeah, a fag hag best friend if you if you want to be blunt about it and um you know a couple other friends that show up this lady penelope is hilarious because she never knows what's going on or where she is and anyway it's it's hard to describe a british comedy and make it funny um yeah and there's you know like they it's, it's definitely hilarious. british they have their teas um and they have uh you know the there's a lot of hard liquor involved um it's it's fun. They even take some pokes at the uh, people from the United States. Um, yeah, they do. I, that was funny. Um, it's a really cool show, and I'm interested to see where it goes. It's a. It's going. It was a very short season one, very short half hour episodes, which we we watch within two days, mm-hmm. and then it looks like a season changeover to like a 45 minute format, like an hour long format with their commercials. And yeah, the the film quality is better and it's, you know, they have more, you know, emotional beats in the show. They changed it a little bit for the new season. So, well, I mean, it's not new at all. This was in 2013 and 14, maybe. So yeah, it's, it's not new, but we like to discover things that are, you know, probably just forgotten. You know, we, we come in just at the wrong time. So that's vicious. You should definitely check it out. Um, that's, uh, what we're watching in TV. Any more to say on Vicious right now? Not really. Just that it's hilarious. Um, it's people that like Absolutely Fabulous would really like this show. And even people that don't because I know uh, my husband doesn't really like that show. But he's, he can get into this show because we are going to be an elderly couple that have been together <laughs> for 48 years. So um, <laughs> it's uh, it's funny to watch because even though they're bitching at each other the whole time, you know, and really making jokes at the expense of each other. They um, are doing it out of love. It's funny. It's it's just so funny. Yes, it, it's... I would say you can see that they love each other, but it, it is very sassy and... Um, you just have to realize what they're showing because even they have to explain it to their guests Yeah. because they aren't quite as dialed in sometimes. They have to say, you know that we're just messing with you, right? And they're serious. Like, that's how they have fun and show love <laughs> yeah and and the performance alone uh, by ian mckellum is it's wonderful it's it's a lot yes. of fun and uh it's definitely definitely worth a watch so check it out agreed all right now we move to the world of gay cinema uh, i mean not just i guess this this is actually pretty open and accessible and has uh, really inf- infiltrated the the main culture in the last several months wouldn't you say Absolutely. It's weird how long that took to catch up. I mean, I know that gay cinema has been a sort of a redheaded stepchild of the whole film industry for a long time. I mean, you know, the 90s had some gay films, but a lot of them were not good. Right. You know, and so (laughs) now that we've had this sort of social awakening, I, I mean, is there a term for that overall? I mean, it's hard because you want to assign it to a certain group that, you know, spearheaded the... The movement to be more socially aware but um anyway it's not politically correctness it's something deeper than that um that's happening so um well i think it's it's the consumption by the audiences like the movie companies must you know the the, the audience must be savvy enough to want this type of material or it wouldn't be as successful as it is um and i think that's great and that shows in some ways cinema can kind of mirror the culture 
as far as the boundary lines and sometimes they can exceed it just a little bit um we the films that we're talking about uh this podcast uh are the wonderful um i, I love both of them the and, dynamic duo of yeah. you know the last couple of years like he, okay they have to be the two that you come up with if you come up with two it's call me by your name and uh love simon uh, very different films but uh films that actually i really enjoyed watching both of them um for those of you um that don't know me i am very interested in independent film um i got uh, my fine arts degree at the university of south florida and started a focus there in cinematography um, and independent film production and i've always loved independent gay cinema and the likes of Gregoraki and the you know some of those uh, 90s films that were really good edge of 17 stuff like that um but call me by your name and love simon we've never seen truly i mean you, th- these are definitely gay films that you know i think would you agree yeah sam and i share the um the 90s um gay film fascination by the way i mean he knows more than i do but i i loved those films too mm-hmm. um i just wanted to put that in there but I'm sorry. So both of them are good. That's what you're saying, right? I mean, yes, both films are enjoyable to watch. They both are entertaining. I'd say in very different ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, different audiences. Like, that's my big takeaway from, you know, I saw Love, Simon much later than Call Me By Your Name. Um, so, well, not much later. Not that much later. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, we just saw Love, Simon and... Um, it's it's a different audience, and that's my big takeaway that uh, that this movie, Love Simon, is wonderful, and I can get some enjoyment out of it. But the movie is not for me. Well, let's start with Call Me by Your Name, which we did see first. Uh, it's a story that's uh, set in the 1980s in Italy uh, between a 17-year-old student and the older man that was hired as his father's research assistant. Um, this was nominated for several uh, Academy Awards. Um, and I was kind of late to it. We both were. We had, you know, wanted oh. to see it, but we had missed a chance to see it locally in theater. Definitely after the Oscars. It wasn't very long ago. Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, the two lead characters, uh, Arnie Hammer and uh, uh, Timothy Chalamet, um, you know, this movie was really touching to me. And the fact that it it was set in the 80s and it you know we're not going to tell you exactly what happens like we're not totally we're not going to give any major spoilers or what have you but it's about the romance that develops um you know and a quite legal romance in that country which is i think a point we have to talk about because so many people are you know saying it's pedophilia or dismissing it off the cuff as that and i think they would miss a they would miss a great film if they did that yes um it's crazy how I don't know. I feel like some people sought out when they heard it was a gay romance between an older person and a younger person. They sought out, okay, what, what, how old was, was the younger person? We need to know because it doesn't sound right otherwise. And they found out he was 17. Well, okay, fine. Um, the whole thing in the movie is it doesn't come up. It, it really barely comes up. I, he, they, they're more worried about coming out as gay than anything else. Right, and uh, you know, and they're and they're both, you know, very well English spoken. The guy, one guy's American, so I mean, he's he has a frame of reference, you know, close to ours, just in the '80s. So right, and, and you know, he, I think he obviously Arnie Hammer identifies as straight, pretty much, um, 
you know, for m- most of the film. Um, right. Yeah. If yes, I I don't remember exactly how, but yeah, he does. Um, and it's Army Hammer, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I was just gonna say it. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be the first of many things that I'll get wrong. So, but yes, absolutely. To me, it's very interesting that you know seeing seeing this gay relationship through the lens of the 1980s and the fact that he was almost from a different America than than our you know legal marriage exists today like in so many ways they've come light years since the 1980s mm-hmm. and i think part of his exploration was the freedom that this country gave him which seemed a lot more open to homosexuality it's not necessarily spelled out but at least that's a feeling that i got from watching the film that it was you know if they were you know old enough to explore love which i think is 13 or 4 i mean it's really young there for what compared to the United States. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, you know. I mean, what are we really talking about here when you see the beautiful love story in the movie? Well, and yeah, so that it is a beautiful love story, and it's about the connecting of the two. Um, when, When they do get together, they don't... It's not explicit. I mean, to me, it's just a perfect amount. It's It shows you as a... It lets you as a viewer kind of see that picture in your mind. Um, that you don't necessarily see all all the time on screen, and you, re- I feel that you really care about the characters. It's a short amount of time. There's not a huge amount of dialogue mm-hmm. that gives you insight into them. But at least personally, I felt that you really cared about the characters, and that was part of the payoff um, and, and got you to become very engrossed in the film. Yeah, I agree. I think that. I don't know. Um, both actors were very attractive, I'd say, mm-hmm. in very different ways. Um, kind of strange because um, Timothy Chalamet is not usually my type, but but he was he was working it in the movie. He was good. He was um, kind of cool sort of confident and and tender. At the yeah, same and he time. knew several languages. You know, there's lots of stuff. He was very cool. Like he played <laughs> it very cool. And he's a great musician, but not overtly cocky, which I think you know, because in some ways, Army Hammer like was almost playing, cocky, but not. But and you couldn't out go over the over Army Hammer because he was obviously, you know, almost fearless in the way he interacted with, you know, the other research assistants and um, kind of the women that were around that were you know all, all kind of after him or asking about him right um while he's worried not necessarily worried but while he's kind of uh checking out timothy chalamet's character elio which i always thought was a great name mm-hmm. yeah i think he says elio doesn't he i don't know but yes i, I like it <laughs> sorry what's what's um army hammer's name i forget oliver I don't know why I can't remember that. And Oliver is the new name of the name of the new neighbor in Vicious too. But um yeah. <laughs> and uh sorry. Okay, so, so so we have uh Timothy Chalamet and Army Army Hammer and um Army Hammer's working for Michael Stuhlbarg um you know as sort of a protege over the summer and Michael Stuhlbarg is Timothy Chalamet's dad. That's why this all connects. And um, they are, I know they are very close and very, and um, you know, very candid with each other. And it's very interesting. And he's wonderful. You know, one, one thing that we're, I'm going to say for both of these films is that the parents were 
ideal and, and in this mm-hmm. case even more realistic and deep and um every time i see that on screen i i hope that gives people hope that maybe in places that they don't feel that they're supported or uh, have choices about their future mm-hmm. um and i hope and i know those parents are out there and exist that love their their child unconditionally no matter what they're facing um at all so i mean but I, I feel like in this instance it it um it exists there to to really say to the people that did grow up in the 80s as a gay person um that you know isn't this what what would be ideal you know for your parents to to say i mean you know i'm not going to be able to quote michael stewart but his speech at the end of it is just quite amazing and it all has to do with um, letting his son be himself, and you know, not hindering his own impu- you know, his own self, um, you know, his authentic self in any way. And I don't know, you, you, that's that seems idyllic to me, but in a, in such a, you know, a pointed way in the movie. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's. Um it's it's really important that that I'm really glad that you brought up uh, Michael Stuhlbarg's uh, performance as Mr. Perlman because um it is just kind of the really fancy ornament on a already super awesome tree um that is this film and to the simplicity and the one the wonderful feelings I think come from the small cast um, the wonderful locations uh, set, being set in Italy um, in, a, in a different time in the 1980s. It feels very warm. It feels uh, very conversational, like you're kind of, you, you are just kind of caught up uh, in this affair with them and you're kind of whisked away, which is for me what I want from a film. Um, and it also tackles some kind of deep issues, but in a way that makes you face them and think about them. And they're not just kind of spelled out for you mm-hmm. uh, or glossed over, but left for you to think about, um, which again is to me, the sign of a good film uh, is that you want to talk it over with friends and explore it more and see it again and things of that nature. Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess overall, I thought it was a beautiful experience that I wouldn't mind having again. Yeah, so it's got rewatchability. I know you wouldn't watch it if you didn't like it. That's true. Hmm. So contrast that to a, a much more lighthearted film, um, Love, Simon, which came out recently, which is currently in theaters. And we just saw this film uh, over this last weekend. Um, what about that film? Do you, Is that... And I say it's a lot more lighthearted. Um, how do you, how do you think these films contrast? Well, I I think that Love Simon is a much different different movie than um, Call Me by Your Name. I think it's for a you know a younger audience. I guess quite obviously for the uh, rating, it's a PG thirteen uh, movie, and so I would say that's you know the target audience would be you know high school people. Um, or middle school mm-hmm. and um that's a lot different than call me by your name i mean the, there yeah. you just think of one scene you know the 
the peach and call me by your name and you just know that it, you know this, they're not in the same ballpark as far as the audience that they're trying to reach right yeah and that's that's an interesting point that um you know they're to me they're both um great examples of of gay cinema and, and love simon may be geared to a younger generation um maybe some would say selfless selfishly by the studios because they know there's that demographic that has disposable income from their parents that want to see these stories as evidenced by what people are watching on say youtube and um on tv and and yeah that's probably part of it but i think that you know in a certain way it shows some bravery to have a movie like this it it, this movie broke some some boundaries like pg-13 gay romance um you know all kinds of of things that this movie is that you know, usually would not be released this way in a big release like this. Well, I think it's a big bucket of awesome to, I mean, this, this is how I am responding to it. Um, it, it made me smile and it also made me uh, cry in some points. And I am a little, uh, hyper emotional sometimes, but, uh, I think there was some, some good stuff and especially the thought of a younger audience seeing this as a, a fulfilling experience. Um, I'm glad that that this kind of stuff is being out there in, in the wide release, that people can see this and talk about it with their families. And, um, you know, it, it is a bit simplistic in the way that every everything is awesome. Um, and I know that that was kind of something that you weren't necessarily a fan of. Did you like it? I liked it. I Oh, I know what I was going to say. So I cried during both movies. I cried during Call Me By Your Name at the end. Not till the end um, <laughs> with the dad. But then um, for Love, Simon, uh, I cried when uh, the mom was so wonderful uh, with what she said to him. You know, you know, very, very much close to what the dad would say in Call, Call Me By Your Name as far as letting him be and, and, you know, being concerned for him and what he had to do, uh, what he had to feel emotionally when he was coming out. You know, that was her concern. It didn't have anything to do with, you know, what they were going to have to deal with or, you know, really anything she did, even though she said that just to be nice, she said, is, you know, is it a mistake I made or something? But yeah. And, and Nick Robinson here with a turn as Simon um, and his mother, Jennifer Gardner, uh, Josh Dumel as his uh, dad, Jack. Um, it. It, it, it's it's a fun cast. Um, it's set in high school, which for me, it, it kind of removes some of it for me because it, I feel so far removed from high school. Um, and and some you know some of the casting is you know young youngish. It's like I guess they can pass for high school, but she watched you know it, it suited the project that that they were working on very well, and they deliver. I think they do good work with their material. One is just heavier than the other. So one, you know, by definition is going to seem a little lighter and poppier, um, uh, which in this case is, is Love, Simon. But you know, I, I thought that was a great experience. Also, with the dad character in in the movie, that made me cry, too, when he came out to his dad. And, and his dad just basically was all about apologizing for any jokes that he made, which you would see in the movie about 
girls or, you know, just really dumb juvenile guy jokes, which weren't that bad, but, you know, can, you know, could have gotten in, you know, could have been taken the wrong way by his son. And um, I identify with that very much so. It's like I know my dad made those kind of jokes and things before he knew that that I was gay, and I feel in some ways... Mine I, didn't. No. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Yeah, well, I feel in some ways that he probably would apologize too because, you know, what was, you know, joking around about fags or whatever that he did then in the 80s and what have you is what people did, and that's not what he would necessarily do now. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my thing in there with his dad. Yeah. No, and that does hit home. I mean, it, it made me cry. Like, b- both times made me cry. This one made me cry more than the other one. I'm not saying that makes it better. Actually, I'm saying the opposite. But um, <laughs> when the dad, you know, does that, when the dad um, is so sweet, that's amazing. I You know, I, I'm not really faulting the movie for this. I just, you know, it, it, I react the way I, I reacted. Um, and, okay, so I just feel like, it's different for uh, call me by your name um it, it it was deeper it was more well earned and um that kind of thing and i don't know if it's just because of the movie love simon is for a teen audience a you know young adult audience whatever i don't know if that's why but um you know that's why i kind of think it isn't for me because my reaction is okay why am I crying? It's because, you know, these parents are the epitome of what you'd want your parents to be in today's society, you know, with everything considered. <laughs> and that's so rare even now. I mean, I, I mean, I know it's different now. I just feel like that's why this is the millennial movie, the millennial gay movie where everything works out perfectly. And that's sweet. And that's another reason why it's a breakthrough. It's a fun, carefree you know, it, it is a little bit about coming out, but other than that, I mean, it's a fun, carefree movie that just ends up well. Yeah, and would you agree that it's got a great cast and, and it's yes. well no, cast? no, I like the movie. I do. I might even watch it again. You know, like, it's, it's, it's fun, but it is fun. Like, there's no, like, overly sexual stuff in it. It's It's got Tony Hale in it, and he's really funny. Yeah, it was really nice to see him. He's sweet in it. Yeah, well, um, I think the whole cast is sweet. Jennifer Gardner as the mom. Josh Duhamel as the dad. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a supporting cast and of his kind friends of really were really sweet. good. Some <laughs> up and coming. Um, I think it's funny that the Nick, friends are fun. I yeah. like. Um, I like. What's her name? Abby. Mm-hmm. Is it Abby? The character. Yes. She's good. She's really good. Um, who else? There's uh, Leah is fun too. I, she reminds me of somebody that would like be into some cool music along with Simon because Simon has an awesome taste in music in the movie. He's singing like violent femmes and, um, you know, what else is it? Uh, the kinks, violent femmes and the kinks. What more do you want? He also has a cool Christmas list, which I think will be a good meme, uh, around Christmas time. Like he, uh, Mm -hmm. gives a list, you know, it, it is, I think it's a sweet story. Uh, I love that it's PG-13 and that there'll be a lot of people that are young that will see this and will have a positive spin on uh, being homosexual. And I know that it's a lot different from when I was growing up, not even uh, in the in the 90s. But, you know, good for it. Good for us. 
Um, I, I think as a community, we should embrace these stories. Uh, sure, they're not all... Uh, parts of Love, Simon are good for a certain part of society that, you know, are well off and that have some of the problems that Simon has. Um, well, it doesn't have to be for them. Um, if you like this happy story, you know, with with a normal kid that is a white, you know, kid that would be a normal white straight kid otherwise, mm -hmm. then, you know, that's good. That's great. And everybody has a good time and that's okay. But, you know, some people it's not the reality. And if you're, if you're above a certain age, it may be, it may be just more of a fairy tale. Yeah. More than anything else. Well, sometimes you need a fairy tale. And that, that's why I like the spectrum of both films that we saw here. Because there's a, what I consider a, a really mature work with Call Me By Your Name. And then there's a very well done piece uh, in Love, Simon, but I think they're on kind of different planets, but I'm really glad that they both exist because they were a lot of fun to watch. Me too. I, I agree with that. Sorry. No, I think they're both a lot of fun to watch, and I hope that a lot of people are watching them, and we'd love to, we'd love to hear what you thought about these films, um, and you definitely got to let us know. Yeah. Um, yes. And by the way, don't think I'm being harsh. Well, you can think I'm being harsh on Love, Simon if you want to, but um, I'm, not, I'm not. I liked the movie. Nice. Anything else you want to do to uh, wrap up thoughts on either one of these uh, uh, cool pieces of cinema? It's a good time um, for mainstream movies with themes that are relevant to us. I agree. I'll be excited to see where they go next. So, um, yeah, that's our first episode of Gay Stuff. Chris it came from our collection. This month on it came from our collection um i was in charge i got to um select the six movies that um that were the selections for my husband to blindly pick from um they i i handpicked them this time last time it was more random from our collection by number but we decided it would be more fun if we had motives behind our, the choices so um the six were uh we have well, okay, we're going to name, I'm going to name each movie and we're going to just say a brief little bit about it just because, you know, there's a reason why it's in our collection and in case we don't get to actually review it someday, um, it would be nice to, you know, tell you why it's here. So, um, we've got, um, El Mariachi up first, um, which is a Robert Rag Rodriguez movie. Sam knows a lot more about it. I actually haven't seen it, so. Yeah, it's great. It's a it's a two for Blu-ray, I think, of El Mariachi and um, Desperado. Right, but um, El Mariachi was going to be the choice. The yeah, choice. Um, it's hard to sum up a lot of Robert Rodriguez in like two minutes. Um, so we'll save that for another cast because we'll definitely do a Robert Rodriguez portion, but. Uh, El, Mar El Mariachi is the kind of the beginning point of it that that kind of shows 
that if you're a filmmaker with a dream, you can go a long way if you have the right amount of imagination. And um, he did a he did a lot when he did that film, you know, basically by himself. So that's that one. Cool. Okay. Um, next is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, this one is a you know an, an old favorite. Every band or choir trip, um, this movie would would at least get mentioned or if not watched on the on the bus you know to and from the competitions um it's just like a go-to for a lot of people in my you know i guess around me but um you know i know it a lot better than el mariachi i haven't seen that that's why i picked that one um but this one i don't know it's it's more to subject my husband to the the rye british humor yes and i you know that was kind of the go-to for a lot of people in our drama department so I've seen it a few times. Um, mm-hmm. Probably, yeah. <laughs> but always willing to watch it again. What's next? We've got um, High Fidelity. Um, you know, the John Cusack movie. Um, probably the, the the last one that I really loved, you know, him in. You know, that was that was really fun. As far as a romantic comedy, at least, or, you know, something you know where he's a... Where he's a normal guy. What do you ha, do? You have any history with that movie? Uh, Jack Black, I think, as his compatriot, yeah. fellow yeah, salesperson. Really good. Like I think, if I remember it right, it's kind of at the apex of his um, fame starting to build. Right. Like he'd been around a long time, but like nobody knew who he was until then. Right. And and really starting to shine. Like before School of Rock, I believe for him. Oh yeah. Which is another great. Uh, you know, love Jack Black. So I could spend um, <laughs> so many minutes on that. No, he's but. hilarious. Like I remember him making my dad laugh when we watched that movie. <laughs> um, anyway, um, we, and then we've got uh, Rules of Attraction, the movie from um, the early two thousands, uh, Brett Easton Ellis novel. Yep, very sex-charged movie. Uh, I remember it very fondly when you know I was out in college mm-hmm. um, and watching as one of those titillating-type movies, gay, gayish movies that came out in the 90s that weren't necessarily all gay characters, but were definitely gay-friendly and yeah. had a lot of good stuff to look at. Yes, it did. Okay, yeah, it was exciting at the time. <laughs> and uh, the next movie, Adam's Family Values. That oh. movie is one of my favorite favorite movies of all time um for a few reasons is that um, with, are they at the camp at that one yes yes okay yes oh my god um yes the best part is joan cusack as the as the nanny that stays at home and then you know shenanigans ensue but um this is my favorite movie with her in it um i think joan cusack is amazing she's one of my favorite people but um also this movie was a favorite of my high school friends. Uh, you know, everybody loved it and could quote it. And yes, more than one quote, um, but especially um, about the uh, Malibu Barbie, ballerina Barbie. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Always <laughs> anyway, good. Always I, I could go on and on about that. That's an, that's one of our, you know, another good example from our collection where it's kind of ever fresh. We could always watch that almost any point of year and... Uh-huh. Probably agree and watch it where, you know, so, yeah, good That's one. Awesome. <laughs> and the next one um, is Mary Poppins. Mary I picked this Poppins. one because I've 
tried to watch this with my husband more than once, and um, <laughs> it's never happened. Like, he gets about one song in before he's bored to death. I don't know why, because I, I it's, I don't know. I think it's one of the most wonderful movies ever, and um, yeah, I don't get it. May- maybe it's because we didn't watch it that much as a, as a child. I don't think my mom liked uh, Julie Andrews very much, <laughs> which is hard to believe. Like, who doesn't like Julie Andrews? Oh my god! But uh, Sound of Music and this, like, uh, which why? I came to love Sound of Music, especially in high school when our theater department did it. I really got into Sound of Music then. I've always liked Julie Andrews, and I like um, uh, what's his name? Um, Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke. Yes, he, he's a he's a charm still to this day. I think oh he's still god. with us. Yes, I just heard him on a podcast, and they. For, well, they didn't force him, but they were like, can we sing from, mm. it was Gilbert Gottfried, and he's like, can we sing from, uh, you know, the the supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and he, and he, you know, fucking did it, and, and he sounded exactly the same as he used to, yeah. and it was amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> those were, those were our choices. Yes. We gave out equal time to every one of them, out of those six, which uh, remind us again exactly what they were. <laughs> um, they were El Mariachi. Mm-hmm. Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, High Fidelity, mm-hmm. Rules of Attraction, mm-hmm. Adam's Family Values, and and Mary Poppins. And what film did we choose, or basically did I choose uh, while I was blindfolded? Which one did I choose? You chose Rules of Attraction. Rules of Attraction. So that is our selection for uh, this month. For it came from our collection. And Loved that movie when it came out. Thought it was so cool. It made me want to read the novels, though I never did. Well, and what's funny about that is, of all those six films that you you know picked for me to choose from, that's probably the one I would have automatically, if you read me a list, said, you know, which of these do you want to watch? I probably would have chose that one. Right, I know. I know. I kind of regret it now that that's the choice, but don't you always, when it's blind... Well, chosen. I think that's the fun thing about this game is now that, that it's going, because next time I get to choose the six selections and he gets to uh, pick blindfold which one we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's the fun of it. Um, because I think, you know, after watching it and getting ready for this podcast, any one of those films would have been a lot of fun to talk about. Yes. And, I mean, maybe, it, maybe it'll continue that way. I hope that uh, we can also get some input from other people maybe you know one person could choose some t- some other time or maybe just an am- amalgam of people um that 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 write into us can choose our 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 choices for it came from our collection yeah well i definitely think after we get a few of these under our belt we'll definitely open it up um you know we'll make the six choices and then we'll let our listeners uh vote on it and figure you know have them decide what they want to hear us talk about absolutely all right, but let's this time go to the 2002 film Rules of Attraction. Yeah, to circle back to the actual topic. <laughs> Directed by Roger Avery, uh, written by Brett Easton Ellis based on his novel and screenplay adapted by Roger Avery, um, starring Dawson. Dawson James Vanderbeek. Oh, Vanders. Didn't really knew, know he existed until this movie. Um, I did. Of course I did. I knew exactly about Dawson's Creek never watched it um didn't pay much attention thought he was really attractive in this movie 
it was it was a different role. Like to me, it felt like he not had his a, character. Well, <laughs> no, no, no. It was like a dark, dirty to him. Yeah, like he was attractive, but his character was shit. Basically, he right. was a a dirt bag. Yes. But, um, it was attractive, so I mean that's the rules of attraction. There's maybe there are yeah. no rules. Rules of attraction are you'll always be attracted to something that you shouldn't be. You have the um, continuing the cast. You have the fantastic Shannon Sossaman, which we talked about in our last podcast when we were talking about. Um, did we talk about her? <laughs> well, she was in something. I I'm sorry. I. I She's in she 40 in... Days, 40 Nights, but oh, yes. I think maybe we mentioned her briefly. Um, when okay, well, that's how it crosses over, I guess. We yeah. were thinking about her. <laughs> but um, Shannon's awesome. It's awesome. I don't know why she isn't in more stuff. Yeah, totally, totally amazing. Um, and, and even the supporting cast in this film, since we're talking you know, just vaguely about the cast, you've got Kit Perdue, Ian Summerholder, who I was mm-hmm. definitely attracted to and was one main reason I saw this movie when it first came out. <laughs> I wasn't, but um, I don't know. He's growing on me now. <laughs> One of the, my favorite cameos in this is you have a, a short piece. Uh, Jay Baruchel makes it in there, and I've always been a very big fan of his. He always makes me laugh, so it was very nice to see him. Yeah, when we did not remember he was in it. He's a stoner in the movie, just there to be a stoner. It's funny. It's perfect. <laughs> it's absolutely perfect. Yeah. Um, oh God, Faye Dunaway's in the movie too. Yeah, and Swoozy Kurtz. And I love Swoozy and, Kurtz. She's oh, in Reality she's Bites so as the mom, and she's awesome. Sorry. Yeah, she's. This whole cast is is actually pretty good. Um, I'm I'm just gonna start kind of reviewing what what I was thinking. You know, when I saw this, the first impressions of this film. I have not read the novel, and I know that's a big thing. A lot of people are talking these days about have you read the novel and how film, you know, the breakdown versus film and novel um i didn't my first exposure to this work was the motion picture me too and um oh we forgot to mention eric stoltz was in it too as like the professor oh god well yeah kind of it is fun that he's in it but uh yeah his role is so awful i guess everybody that you recognize from like there's some nostalgic casting picks in this movie Mm -hmm. um everybody is like all grungified and gross (laughs) No. Including Fred Savage, I had. I guess I, oh, that's the other God, thing I'm thinking yes. about right now. Fred, Sa- yeah, he that's, is. That's awful, but well, and it's back, it's, and, it's funny, but it's awful. Yeah, it was. He, he, you're absolutely right. There are some really spot on casting decisions, and then what they do really kind of exceeds what you have as an audience member thought about them, which I think is cool. It kind of pushes those boundaries so that you don't necessarily see him from the Wonder Years or whatever. You just see, you know, like what what is this? What is he doing? Um, right. Well, he's yeah playing clarinet in a very interesting scenario. Uh, while <laughs> while um, you know, begging for drugs, right. telling someone that he's not going to pay them. <laughs> well, and Eric Stoltz gets his clarinet played, I think, while doing other things as a professor. Oh God, yeah. You think that you think that it's gonna be some big affair or something, and then it's just a BJ in the office or whatever. It's gross. It's so <laughs> gross. <laughs> The, the, I think the beginning part is really, really interesting, the way that they open this film up, which you kind of get short bursts of different characters and what you find out is a different time. Um, that really, mm-hmm. like, you, I think yeah, that's seven the minutes a piece. Like, it was yeah. a really impactful way to kind of draw you into the story by giving you these short bursts of th- basically telling you who you should pay attention to. 
Right. Yeah. There's obviously a lot of people. It's it's always parties and um, campus life and things like that. So, you know, each person's journey through that, and then like yeah, following what three or four specific people. Mm-hmm. Just at the beginning, and then it, and then it gets going, and it doesn't repeat like that again. Although there are some other cool camera tricks that they do. That stuff's fun. Yeah, and you'll have a, I mean, you'll hear a lot of people talk about there's a very specific kind of split screen um, segment in there. We're not going to talk, I don't think we're going to talk about that at length. That's really covered on the special effects on um, On the disc disc and also online. You can find that featurette. Um, Needless to say, there was some great cinematography in this piece. It was very well executed. and yes. I think I think the performances were very genuine as well. I agree. Um, there's a very um, traumatic scene with the character that you learn is lurking in the background before um, before killing herself. Um, you know, in in this very traumatic scene with Harry Nilsson playing in the background, it's really really um, hard to watch, and it's it's um, emotional. It's crazy. I I, I don't know. You know, I'd be interested to hear from the director more about that and what inspired that. I, I feel like you know this 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 film pushes as many buttons as it can. It grosses you out. It titillates you. Um, it shows you extremely graphic things or you know things that you would flinch or kind of shy away from in the normal course of events. Um, it's a very powerful tool, um, not only to make you remember this particular piece. Um, but all of those strong little things kind of help you, um, put you in the mind of these characters and the kind of dark, dark world that they're dealing with. Absolutely. Um, by the way, the director that I would love to ask about that scene is Roger Avery. Um, and, um, I don't know. Do we want to talk more about, um, the, the gay content in the movie and, and, um, things like that? Ian Summerholder, um, being... I read somewhere that he's supposed to be bisexual, but I thought he just always spends the whole time crushing on James Vanderbeek and pretty much just him, I guess. But but also engaging in in fun gay activity with his uh, his friend. Yeah, that visits. <laughs> dick, 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 dick. My name is Dick. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Susie Kurtz is there, like, well. <sighs> I, I he always came across as gay to me, but maybe that's because when I was watching it, I was highly aware that I was gay, um, and because he did that with all those other boys, that's all I remembered. I didn't remember right. I mean, him well, being nothing. bisexual. And also, it could be the whole thing about a lot of people saying they're bisexual in college, and then and then revising that later it's just yeah. a thing that happened i maybe my generation is the last one that would that would do that but let's um, hope so i i heard i hope so heard of a lot of people doing it that way which is which is great i mean if that's the way that you come out that's fine there's no problem with that well and that's kind of how i came out like to my friends in high school because uh, i still dated girls and whatnot and it was the bisexual card that kind of made it okay for more experimentation without taking that full leap. Like it still meant he was outside the norm. Um, but for me, that was a very powerful card to play because sure. it gave me the space to explore. And I'm sure a lot of people are like that. Sure. And I mean, yes, I understand that completely. <laughs> so what else gay wise? I mean, 
Is it is gay wise? Um, well, I mean the the fantasy scene with um, Ian Somerhalder and James Vanderbeek is pretty cool, <laughs> where where they're mm-hmm. kissing and then they don't really show much more. But that that mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I love the faith, and this is wow, not so exclusively a gay thing, but the whole faith kind of lip syncing oh, and yeah. performance. The and 80s music in the movie is amazing. It's sort of a mix between um, 80s and you know the 90s, kind of, because it's 2002, I think, is the movie uh, date. But um, yes, I love Faith. And I love, at the end, the Erasure song they play, too. It was very, you know, right, like, part of the uh, party timing is based on, I think, the millennium, is it not? Like the party at the end of the world party is set like right around the right yeah year two thousand party yes that's a big deal in the movie and it's funny thinking about how big of a deal it was before we we hit that milestone and then everyone just like oh it's another day like no one really expected anything to happen but it has been built up for so long about computers not being able to get the date right and mm-hmm. did you remember all that stuff oh yeah yes well that was Y two K yeah um. Ugh. It was dumb. We, we actually had some water. I think, you know, my parents did it to satisfy one of our, um, one of our younger siblings um, wanted us to get water for emergencies, you know, like everybody got, you know. <laughs> and we did that. <laughs> but nothing happened. <laughs> really nothing. So, not just a gay undertone. I was struck in my notes about how much smoking was in this film. Now I usually don't Smoking make on screen. Don't make notes about that, but I saw it, it was so heavy in this script as far as like the you know all of the characters almost did. Mm-hmm. Um, that just struck me as odd, and I think maybe that's also watching it so many years later that you wouldn't be able to smoke in a lot of those places that they were. So. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, I, I didn't notice. That's weird. I guess I I'm just used to watching. You know, the 90s movies where all the, you know, the sad people are smoking a lot of cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, another thing I had on my notes was talking about there's a um, a teen suicide scene, which, my God, this is so hard. Like, anytime I'm watching a film and I get those visual clues that something may happen, I'm just like, oh, God, don't go there. Like. I don't know what it is with that that kind of a scene. It's just like it's so hard for me to watch that. They show a lot of it. I mean, you know, they, they kind of get to silhouettes at the end of it. That that, but at the beginning they're showing a lot of what's happening, and it's it's too much. And especially with the song, like, oh my god, what a dramatic song. It, well, and she's know. so much in the background of this film that it hits you in a weird way because you. You're like, well, I wasn't necessarily supposed to be looking for her because she was so not focused on. Right. Yeah. I mean, the yes. And there, the, there's not much reason to look for her. And and maybe that was the point is that she was felt very alone and she was so you know kind of lost. Right. In it's crowd. no less real for her, but you know, there's n- there's no way she was getting through to these people that have these super egos and whatever. Like. Yeah. yeah. So when you do see this kind of very traumatic thing that, and it's her. I mean, it's an interesting twist for sure, but it's really sad though because it's like nobody, nobody knew who, nobody knew she existed, um, and she didn't feel that she could talk to anybody else. I mean, it was really kind of bleak. Yeah, and wow, yeah, it took you there. Yeah, 
So, uh, what do you think was? Did you think it was any parts of it were funny? Was there anything the humor that stuck out for you? Um, Dick was funny, <laughs> and I don't know. There's not much more. I didn't like the, I didn't like the, um, the gay friends, you know, for lack of a better way to put them. Um, you know, I was hoping that maybe they were just incidental people on on the uh, dorm floor room or, or you know the dorm floor or something, but I think it's you know there's a gay clique like you, you were saying that that it was probably a gay clique and probably right, but they're they're just ridiculous and and um, I don't know I know they're they're college kids trying to figure out who they are, but it's just like kind of insulting. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean the, the humor humor in it is dark humor any humor in it is very dark tinged um, you know there's no uh, there's no really relief in it because you get you know this this bleak you know romantic landscape for you know these people that all feel very alone it seems don't you think I do and yeah, that this this is a film like they have. There's a little bit of humor there, but the most of it, most of the feelings are kind of dark. Yeah, and bleak, and um, not to discourage anyone from watching it, but it's not going to be all sunshine and right. And yeah, happiness. There are a few things that will definitely make you laugh, but sure, and it's fun. I mean, and it, <laughs> it which is a horrible thing to say right then, but um, you know, it, it it's fun as well. Like it's fast paced. Like somebody, some people that worked on Pulp Fiction worked on this, and I don't know who those people are. But that was in the trailer, but uh, you know, I'm sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought. Oh, but um, with that, it, it's sort of like a derivative film in a certain way. Like it's it's kind of trying to be those those um, MTV era fast paced um, Pulp Fiction type movies um, and you know it's not entirely successful in some ways like it's you can see that trying to be derivative that way um, I think and so I was kind of disappointed with this rewatch just because I thought it was better when I first watched it I don't know do you ever did you feel that way at all right well and we you know just involved with Pulp Fiction Roger Avery was credited as a writer on Pulp Fiction okay thank you well that's yeah what so it's know. perfect <laughs> sense and he uh, and you can tell that he's very comfortable in that mode of filmmaking um, because there are some especially the, those opening segments and vignettes like it's really stylized mm-hmm. and yes. slick and um, a lot of attention to detail in his filmmaking especially the split screen it was not easy for them to do that and take it in such a long take and make it line up so perfectly and and then kind of join them together in in one awesome place. Um, so yeah. in that way, you know, as I think a bit more as we talk through it, some of his views on you know being far away or being connected and the way that he um, displays those on the screen is very interesting. It is, oh yeah, it's fun to watch. And in some ways, it may be deeper than some of the characters that he's covering. Like these kids are college kids. Yes. Um, he may be a in some way ascribing more to them than what they would actually have because they're not necessarily thinking in some of these deep ways, but it's a, it's a great amalgamation of all those things combined. That's interesting. It's interesting to think about the um, direction being on a kind of a different track than, than the, you know, the material and the, and the characters that's weird, but you think you're right, which is maybe why I think it's weird or like, Mm -hmm. you know, not as good as I thought it was. Well, it's it it's it makes the titillating and stuff that you would normally turn away from 
the focus of what you're watching. And, mm-hmm. you know, in some ways, almost instantly you internalize something like that and put try to put yourself in that situation. At least that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Is in some ways, without even knowing it, you identify with those characters and try to say, well, what? how would I fit in like that? Sure. Like, oh, I knew a guy like that in college or I went to a party like that in college or something like that. Yeah, it's it's good being realistic about about college and the people you meet and then move on from and, you know, meet new people and <laughs> and and the I don't know, the dynamic of that. So what what are some other things on your notes that that we haven't hit on yet? Cuz uh, we've actually uh, covered a lot of them even before I talked about them as far as like Fred Savage and <laughs> Right. Um well, you know, I think yeah, we really have everything here. I have that. I was kind of annoyed by the by um, Ian Summerholder when I was watching it. Apparently, mm. I, I wrote a couple different things down about that. Um, like I said, I, I don't know. I, I I just didn't appreciate that appreciate that character as much, just because. Did you say appreciate? I love that. I love that shortening. Non appreciate. I don't appreciate. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm sure someone else has said it, but that's the first time I've ever heard it like that, and I love it. I really appreciate. Totally on purpose. He really appreciates. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yes, okay. So basically, it seems like a lot of the people in the movie are sociopaths. That's what it. What I wrote down. Yeah. I. I yeah. Paul is is Ian Summerholder, and Sean is um, James Vanderbeek, and they're. They're sociopaths, I, I, I believe. You know, I'd have to say the biggest thing that stuck out of this, as far as the cast goes for me, um, was uh, Shannon Sossaman. I think you have a lot of these other heavy hitters mm-hmm. that delivered some really good performances, but the most consistently tuned into me, general audience watcher, was her character. I felt that she had... Like, she was redeemable. Like, there was nothing that she was going to do that would make you really not like her as an audience member. I agree. And the whole thing about um, looking at the book of detailed photos of venereal disease to <laughs> to, to, um, to not to have get sex. Her, yeah, yeah, to get her to not want to have sex. Yes. That is hilarious. Well, love it. I really love her in 40 Days and 40 Nights because she's in there with Josh Hartnett. Um, but... Mm-hmm. Just her performance and her persona on screen is so enjoyable, and I could see it being very realistic in the circle she's running with inside the film. Um, again, realistic portrayal of her character, and someone that you would have the hope would have the most positive future ahead of them. Right. Um, I mean, some of them might have to do some kind of a character change to do that, but to me, it seems like she's the easiest. You know, she'd figure it out and get a good job. And I agree, but um, at the end of the movie, she's kind of at the end of her rope. Yeah. But, yes. <laughs> I, I think she would dig herself out of that based on what you're saying. I mean, and the fact that she means well and is getting an education. Right. Well, and the funny thing is there <laughs> well, are some is things. Though? Right. Yeah. There are some things at the end of the film that almost make you question everything that happened after because you see Kit Purdue right. and some of that um, come conclusion that, yeah, so that is interesting. It does kind of spin it at the end. It makes you think that she's one way, and then at the end, um, maybe you're not 100% sure. That's true. Hmm. <laughs> nice. Jay Baruchel was very great. My note for him was Jay Baruchel, drunk adopted kid. I don't, you, he maybe have 
getting stoned as well but i think he found out he was adopted or something like they're like he just found out he was adopted who did jay baruchel I think at the party they were at, they're saying something like he just found out he's adopted. Okay, I'm not sure on that. He's one. a drunk adopted kid. So <laughs> it's great. Uh, and right, and okay, I'm gonna give this away. It's like this is not a big spoiler, but he gets really drunk and he doesn't drink that much. But then they take him to the emergency room, and then um, he kind of wakes up and the, he's like, "Am I okay?" And the doctor's like, "No, you're dead." Yeah, that's the one thing that. Paul does throughout the whole movie that isn't about himself. I'm like, hmm, he took him to the hospital or helped take the guy to the hospital. Is he not so bad? Right, he's redeemable. I guess. <laughs> not really. He sat there and made fun of him the whole time. <laughs> he did. So, would you recommend this to to someone to watch? I would recommend it to... Someone that was interested in American Psycho because it it loosely connects to that and it's it's uh, by the same author as um, the book was um, the basis for this movie and um, you know um, someone that liked that type of um, fast-paced movie in the in the '90s scene. I I would definitely recommend it, um, especially if you're of our generation of the '90s. Uh, the new look at Dawson, um, and you also have some some good casting there. Like if if it came on, I would definitely tell someone to watch it, or let them borrow it from my collection. I don't have very many people that you know borrow movies anymore, but sometimes it's weird who who is like, hey, can I borrow a movie? And it's like, yes, because you want to share it. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> um, that's all the notes I have on this. Do you have anything else before we wrap up this installment of it came from our collection? No, I don't. All right, well, that was our uh, review of uh, Rules of Attraction from 2002. Uh, It came from our collection, and there it will sit until the next time we watch it. Thanks for listening to us uh, go on about some stuff that's in uh, our collection and actually allowing us to watch it. Yeah, and this one was fun. I liked it. All right, we'll be back next month with six new films that I get to pick out, and then we'll see which one uh, Chris grabs wildly. And blindfoldedly. Yep, it better be wildly. It better be. We'll have to take pictures. We always talk about that, but we will take pictures. You'll be able to get a, uh, see those online and uh, see us actually picking these wonderful films. All right, that's it. It came from our collection. We'll see you next month. Damn. Give it damn. We're married. Yes. This has been a test of the Southsider Studios podcast system. This was only a test. If this were a true lack of entertainment, your head would explode. Go to iTunes and subscribe to our feed. Just search Southsider Studios.